Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Hi, and welcome to another bonus episode of Dad's Read Princess Stories. I'm your host, RPJ, and today we are going to be talking about The Little Mermaid. Before we go any further, if you have not already listened to the season finale of Dad's Read Princess Stories, where Ryan Gladstone reads the tale of The Little Mermaid, I suggest that you pause right now, go back, and listen to that episode. Now we're going to assume that you've done that and you are ready to go further. In this episode, we are going to focus on the Danish Hans Christian Andersen tale. We're going to skip over the making of the Disney animated film, seeing that you more than likely already know a lot about that film. And if you don't, just check out Disney Plus or a DVD or a Blu-ray, pop that puppy in, check out those extra features. Okay, so about the book. Strap in because we are going to change how you view this story forever. Hans Christian Andersen wrote The Little Mermaid in 1836, with it being published in 1837. It was an original story that he wrote, although it is influenced by the 1811 German novel Unadine, which follows a water spirit that marries a knight named Huldebrand in order to gain a soul. Going back even further, Unadine was influenced by the French folktale Molossine, which itself has different versions. One has her being the daughter of a fairy and the king of Albany, now known as Scotland. The mother leaves the king, taking her daughter to the Isle of Avalon after he breaks his oath never to look in at her and her daughter in their baths, which, on a side note, is very, very super creepy. Another variation of the story is her marrying a knight on the condition that he shall never see her on Saturdays when she remains in her half-fish shape, thus giving her privacy in her bath, of course, he breaks this oath and she leaves, either flying away with wings or swimming away with two tails. Take your pick. This brings us to Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid. As we said before, it was written in 1836. It's a story about the youngest of six daughters to a widowed sea king. In this story, Andersen spends pages upon pages describing all the older sisters and how at the age of 15 each one of them gets to swim up to the surface to see the world of man. As he puts it, the little mermaid is jealous of her sisters and listening to their stories year after year. During this time she takes up gardening and in this garden she keeps the statue of a prince that fell into the sea. She spends most of her time fawning over this male statue, hoping one day to meet a real man. Finally, the day comes when she turns 15 and she swims straight to the surface where she sees a boat. And on this boat is a prince who just happens to look a lot like the statue that she has in her garden. Now, a storm happens, of course, and the ship goes down. She saves the life of the prince. So far, pretty similar to the animated film. Now, she takes him to the shore, kisses him on the forehead, and then swims away. A group of girls from a church find the prince and help him to safety. This is where things start to change. The Little Mermaid then spends months going back to the same spot, hoping to see this prince and that he will also see her and fall in love. But he never, ever returns, of course, because why would he? The Little Mermaid then goes to her grandma, who, as Anderson writes, 
keeps house and asks her if human beings are not drowned, can they live forever? Do they die as we do here in the sea? The grandmother replies, yes, they must also die, and their term of life is even shorter than ours. We sometimes live for 300 years, but when we cease to exist here, we become only foam on the surface of the water and have not even a grave among those we love. We have not immortal souls. We shall never live again. Human beings, on the contrary, have souls which live forever, even after the body has been turned to dust. They rise up through the clear, pure air beyond the glittering stars as we rise out of the water and behold all the land of the earth. So do they rise to the unknown and glorious regions which we shall never see. The little mermaid then asks, Is there anything I can do to win an immortal soul? No, says the grandmother, unless a man should love you so much that you were more to him than his father or his mother, and if all his thoughts and all his love were fixed upon you, and the priest placed his right hand in yours, and he promised to be true to you and hereafter. Then his soul would glide into your body and you would obtain a share in the future of happiness of mankind. He would give you a soul and retain his own as well. But this can never happen. Your fish's tail, which among us is considered so beautiful on earth, is thought to be quite ugly. They do not know any better and they think it necessary in order to be handsome to have two stout props which they call legs. Not liking this answer, the little mermaid then goes to the sea witch asking for help. Naturally, the witch promises to give the little mermaid legs so the young prince can fall in love with her and she will be pretty and will be able to dance and everyone will love her. But every step she takes will feel like she is stepping and treading on sharp knives. The Little Mermaid agrees to this preposterous agreement. Then the witch adds, If you do not win the love of the prince so that he is willing to forget his father and mother for your sake and to love you with his whole soul and allow the priest to join your hands so that you may be man and wife, then you will never have an immortal soul. The first morning after he marries another, your heart will break and you will become foam in the crest of the waves. Shockingly, the Little Mermaid totally agrees to this as well. And the price for all of this is her voice. The witch throws that in at the end and the Little Mermaid agrees to all of these things. So the witch cuts off the tongue of the little mermaid and she goes home, kisses her sisters goodbye as they sleep, with a bloody mouth one can only assume, swims to shore, drinks the potion that the witch gave her and grows legs. Somehow she knows where the prince now lives and walks up to his palace and then passes out. She wakes up to see the prince later standing over her and he takes her by the hand without question and takes her in. 
His slaves then dress her and feed her. He shows her off to everyone he knows. And he tells her that she shall remain with him always and gives her permission to sleep at his door on a velvet cushion, like a dog. He tells her that she reminds him of someone that saved his life. But that can't be her. And that person that saved him, that's the one that he would love forever. And that's clearly not this girl. Soon, he's told that he will marry the daughter of a neighboring king. But he doesn't want to. He's totally cool with being a bachelor and having this female friend that sleeps outside his door. But once he sees this princess, he exclaims that this person is clearly the one that saved him. And he falls in love with her. Boom! Right away. Now this princess never once says, hey, hold on a second, let's stop, time out. I never saved your life. She just goes along with this and also falls in love with him, leaving the Little Mermaid heartbroken. And when the day of the wedding comes, her sisters come to her, now completely bald, and they tell her that they gave all of their hair to the witch for this knife. And this knife is to be used on the prince. Now the little mermaid has to stab him in the heart before the sun rises and let his blood flow all over her feet. Then she will become a mermaid once again and live for 300 years. She takes this blade and looking down at the sleeping prince and his new bride, she decides to throw it into the sea. She then leaps into the sea herself as the sun is rising and turns into foam thus killing herself. It is then, at that moment, that something strange happens. She becomes one of the daughters of air, thus having to wait 300 years until she can float to heaven, which means she's basically in purgatory. Now that's some pretty dark stuff. And as you can see, there is a lot to unpack when it comes to the story of The Little Mermaid. On the surface, it's easy to read into the very religious views of Hans Christian Andersen. As with most of the stories that came out during this time, The Little Mermaid is filled with lessons for young women. It, it's easy to view at first glance how the story pushes the idea that men are the ones with souls, that men are the ones that run the world, that it is the place of women to fall in love and to marry. And if you don't, you won't go to heaven. You need to be pretty, you need to sing, you need to dance, and you need to be liked by society. And for sure, the story has all of those things in it, those very negative things. But there's one thing that for sure stands out, and that is its message about body dysmorphia. We know that the Little Mermaid wants legs and wants nothing more but to change how they look. And why? So that someone will love them, which is very messed up. But here's the thing. There is something much deeper to the Little Mermaid. And it's something that a lot of people mix up with body dysmorphia. And that is gender dysmorphia. The Little Mermaid is a queer and trans tale. And here is why. Hans Christian Andersen wrote The Little Mermaid for one person, his friend Edward Collins, whom Andersen was very much in love with. Andersen sent many letters to Collins, explaining their feelings. 
Anderson wrote, I languish for you as for a pretty Calibrain wench. My sentiments for you are those of a woman. The femininity of my nature and our friendship must remain a mystery. Anderson begged Collins to not marry the woman that he was engaged to. Collins went on to marry, breaking Anderson's heart. Later, Collins wrote in his own memoir, I found myself unable to respond to this love, and this caused the author much suffering. The parallels between Anderson's life and The Little Mermaid are in plain sight. We just don't see it because we are so used to viewing everything through a hetero lens. When she is granted her legs, her tongue taken away so that she can't talk, thus not being able to voice her thoughts, her feelings, what she feels deep inside, it is Anderson who is also feeling this way, that they can't tell people how they truly feel, mainly about Edward Collins because of the way people viewed and treated LGBTQ people. Anderson was troubled when it came to their own sexuality, often falling in love with unattainable women and men. But Anderson was also deeply religious and often stated their refusal to have sexual relations in their journal. Because Anderson was taught that being queer was wrong, that queer people don't have souls and can't go to heaven. This is very clear in this story, The Little Mermaid. She was told that man has a soul and that mermaids have no soul and can't go to heaven. But The Little Mermaid strives to attain one. She wants to blend in. She wants to be a part of that world. Pardon the pun. If only she could change who she was. Your fish's tail, which among us is considered so beautiful on earth, is thought to be quite ugly. They do not know any better. And they think it necessary in order to be handsome to have two stout props, which they call legs. The prince falls in love with another person and treats the little mermaid like a pet, and when she decides to not kill the prince and thus turn to foam, she becomes one of the daughters of the air. She is told that although they do not possess an immortal soul, can, by their good deeds, procure one for themselves. This is how the little mermaid ends. They tell her, Unseen we can enter the house of men where there are children. And for every day on which we find a good child that is the joy of his parents and deserve their love, our time is probation is shortened. The child does not know when we fly through the room that we smile with joy at his good conduct. For we can count one year less of our three hundred years. But when we see a naughty or a wicked child, we shed tears of sorrow and for every tear a day is added to our time of trial. The tear between wanting to be who you think you are and the fear of not wanting to disappoint, or worse, anger the society that has raised you, is scary. It is truly sad, this ending of The Little Mermaid. It pretty much says, as long as a kid doesn't have the feelings and wants that you had, they will be good, and you will get closer to having a soul. But, 
if they are naughty or wicked, i.e. do what you felt and did, it will take longer for you to get that soul. In other words, Anderson felt so much shame about their sexual and gender identity that they thought the only way to be loved and go to heaven was to be, quote-unquote, a good boy. Who knows who Anderson would have been if the world was more accepting? People like to point out that Anderson never had sex and so therefore wasn't gay. Like, that's how that works. Anderson was 100% queer. And if alive today would possibly be non-binary or trans, we for sure would never have gotten the story of The Little Mermaid if people were more understanding and knowledgeable and open-minded back then. Anderson wrote a love letter and a coming-out story at the same time, filled with self-hate, a wonder of femininity, and one's conflict between religious views and what's in their heart. The Little Mermaid should be read knowing these things. We need to be reading this to young people and talking about the subject of gender identity and what it means. That it is okay to be whoever you want to be. You are equal to everyone else. And you should never have to hide who you are to be part of this world. Pun intended. Now go watch The Little Mermaid with the view that Ariel is trans, the witch is a drag queen, the Sea King is a bear. Flounder is non-binary. Sebastian is pansexual. The Prince is bi. He had some college fun. And the Chef is the only straight person. That's why he gets his teeth knocked out. Trust me, this film becomes way better when you know these things. Well, that's it for me. I'm RPJ. And this was our last bonus episode of Dad's Read Princess Stories for Season 1. That being said, if you have not already, please subscribe to the podcast. We do have a second season in the works right now with a killer lineup of dads reading stories. You can also find us on social media, Dads Read Princess Stories on Facebook and on Instagram, and Dads Read on Twitter. If you are interested in reading on the podcast, hit us up, send us a message, and until then, stay safe.